0: This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. back to another edition of business impact we're heading towards the end of the year and we're pulling all these disparate varied threads together it's been a lot going on obviously it's just great to be actually producing the podcast as you know this was all kind of a birthed in a very different time of course in COVID-19 and as we come towards end of 2023 There's a lot of things kind of floating around, getting a bit of shape on them, getting a bit of perspective, interpreting them is not necessarily easy. Also, apologise for a slight nasal issue, which again is this time of the year that brings it on. There seems to be a lot of bugs and respiratory diseases flying around and I have been a victim myself, but hopefully it's not too distracting for you. You're welcome along. Also, thanks to our last podcaster, which was Joe Barrett of Applegreen. Really great response to that one. Virtually everyone who's been On the podcast, a guest has been in an apple green. (laughs) So everyone knows about what they're doing there, and it was a great story. So we're going to keep that sort of sense of momentum moving on into 2024 as well, with guests that really capture your interest, and it's great to get your feedback as well, which also you do through uh, texts and emails that come into me from time to time from various listeners. So we always like to get those. Now, as I said, and as I refer to there, we have had a very interesting year. There's a lot to be happy about. Obviously, it's been an uninterrupted year. The weather mm, not so good. But there has been a lot of positive developments. But towards the end of the year, it's been a slightly darker feel, a little bit of a sense that social cohesion maybe is fraying a little bit at the edges. And let's just leave it at that because it's still being interpreted. All these various events are sort of ongoing, let's put it that way. And my guest today is going to have a little conversation with me about all of that, but particularly about the workplace and what's happening in organisations. They're obviously greatly influenced by the external world, but also there's separate dynamics that go on inside any organisation regardless of sectors or what part of the economy they're operating in. And my guest is Dr. Cara McGann, who is the head of social policy at IBEC, of course, represents some of Ireland's leading employers and companies. Uh, you're very welcome along, Cara. Thanks very much, Emma. I'm
1: delighted to be here.
0: It's great to have you. Uh, maybe you could uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and give us sense. Everyone knows IBEC, obviously. Um, and many of your listeners will be members of the organisation as well, or certainly will have been at one time or another. But just tell us a little bit about yourself. It's, it's a great position you hold head of social policy because it sucks in so many fascinating issues underneath that umbrella but before we get into all of those just tell us a little bit yourself personally uh, your journey to this post uh, and your interest and so on.
1: I'm a UCD graduate a couple of times over. I started with a, a degree in psychology there and, and really had great aspirations of becoming a child psychologist, which were dashed very early on. And, and I found myself kind of ending up moving into business more, you know, to see how that landed. It hadn't been an initial thought. Um, so I did the master's in the Smurfit Business School and uh, in social and organisational psychology. So I worked in industry for a number of years in human resources and as an organisational psychologist, came back and did the MA in social and organisational psychology and then was invited to do the PhD with the School of Psychology uh, around gender and leadership and success. So a really interesting time with UCD and I suppose a fair bit of work experience in and, in and around that, which then led me to 15 years ago, joining IBEC, um, where, as you said, I'm I'm currently Head of Skills and Social Policy. So what that really entails is is quite a broad range of issues and key policy areas from everything from social sustainability, diversity and inclusion, which would range from gender equality to mental health and well-being. We look at uh, labour market activation and the functioning of the whole labour market, the care agenda, both child and long-term care, uh, various pieces of regulation that are coming at us from the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, the EU Pay Directive and, and so on, and really how we ensure that we have a labour market that's fit for purpose for the future of work. So in all of those different areas, I suppose I, I lobby at both national and European level and then try and represent the voice of business on on the various stakeholder groups in, in this space.
0: Yeah, and I think the fact that you, you, just the stuff you've mentioned there that you've listed off, uh, we can hear the variety there, but also Maybe these, some of these issues weren't traditionally associated with an organization like IBEC. People might think IBEC is into business performance, profitability, operations, you know, to do with the day-to-day running of businesses. But of course, all these things are to do with the day-to-day running of businesses. But do you think sometimes we... We don't fully appreciate the full suite of things that something like IBEC is involved in.
1: Probably and you know sometimes I do get that com- that, that question at, at different meetings you know where you'd be with a mix of stakeholders from maybe civil society the NGO sector um, as well as the business sector as to why business are interested in this but to be perfectly honest without a thriving society it is very difficult to have a flourishing business so they are absolutely intertwined you know we need to make sure that we are looking after both the economy and the society, if we don't do that, if we're not making sure that we're putting um, structures and processes in place to make sure that people are able to contribute and to be supported in times when they're not able to, to support themselves, you know, we're, we're leaving ourselves open to difficulties on the, the social side with a view that then will have a knock-on effect both in terms of the talent that we can tap into it within our society and indeed how we actually work through that within the economy. So they are so intertwined. It's really, really vital that we're at all of those conversations.
0: Now, I don't know whether it's a cliche or not, or holds a good bit of water, but it's often said that that the workplace is a reflection of society. It's like a mirror. So um, all those issues that we have outside the workplace eventually get filtered into there in some form. Maybe they're slightly modified, but they're certainly flow through. And if we look at society at the moment, I think certainly Western society, there's a lot of polarisation. So do you think that that the workplace is facing a bit of a perfect storm as well that there's just a lot of stuff sort of sweeping through workplaces and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was because you're very much at that cold face you're you're actually hearing yes you're familiar and more than familiar with the theories of these issues but also you hear feedback from companies directly so maybe just to get our conversation underway we get, just get a sense from you of what what you're hearing about the the mood the morale <laughs> that's, that's a very broad sweeping question but in Irish companies and in Irish workplaces as, as we sort of tail off uh, at the end of 2023?
1: It's a tricky one, I suppose. It's, it's not any one thing. You know, in Ireland, we've seen a huge journey over the last couple of decades, really, from... I suppose, equality to diversity, to inclusion, and that, that has seen real progress in our economy and society. And, and as you say, that, the, the, the workplace is such a microcosm of society, and so it should be. But we've really progressed from, you know, a real homogenous island off the coast of Europe to one of Europe's most heterogeneous countries, you know, a society that didn't decriminalize homosexuality until 1993, and the first one to legalize same-sex marriage in 2015. And all of that landscape means we've really come a long way and we've made leaps and bounds But modern Ireland has this new set of challenges and some of that may threaten our progress as a society and around this whole area of equality and diversity and inclusion and social cohesion, which, you know, we've we've seen challenges to and as you as you alluded to at the beginning, some some fraying around the edges. And I think there are reasons for a lot of that. And, you know, we've, we've seen the kind of the changes o- over the last couple of years. When you have a situation where there are, I suppose, a scarcity of different resources, where people are feeling under pressure and where there's difficulty around the ability to get houses, to get school places, to get hospital beds and affordable care, when you're seeing a gap between the haves and the have nots getting wider. And then when they're fed by the poly crises, I suppose, of things like Brexit, the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, inflation, and so on, What can happen is that instead of bonding us together, people can become more and more disenfranchised and they can feel marginalised or left behind. And we start to see longstanding social issues being exacerbated. People are feeling maybe fear and insecurity due to economic uncertainty or due to social upheaval or rapid cultural change. And that can end up with us blaming certain groups or individuals for the perceived threats to our way of life or our well-being. And if you couple that then with encouragement from nefarious sources, this can lead to hate towards members of different groups, which impacts social cohesion and collaboration in our economy and in our society. And that really has played out on a couple of levels now. And we've seen that, you know, over the last number of months, you know, whether it's, it's around people protesting outside workplaces, but in a way that we've never seen before, level of personalized protest that mirrors the language and tactics of a global movement. And employees have had to deal with, you know, accusations brought to their to their workplace around being ignorant of grooming, not caring about children or, you know, where asylum seekers and refugees are accommodated. Sometimes employees have been personally accused of wrongdoing by activists, filming interactions and so on. So it can be it can be a very tense situation you know, as we look at that now, that has huge implications, not only for our society, but also for for our workplaces.
0: Now, you, you've listed off so much. So we, we definitely won't get to all of these in, in the, the time that we have allotted, but uh, you've certainly picked out a few interesting ones. I suppose one thing I, I'd like to ask you is, is there an issue whereby a lot of the things you're talking about, whether it's diversity, equality, and beyond that, we've legislated for those things. There are a whole corpus of law now governing these things, rightfully so. But law only gets you so far, it doesn't change minds necessarily, it changes behavior. So do you think one of the issues we have is that we bring in laws, regulations, codes, some of them come in from the European Union and so on. And, you know, people benefit from those. So there's people who would be in this conversation, well, I actually made, made a practical benefit, that they actually changed my life or changed my career, etc. But is there sort of a wider mission there or a project whereby law will only get you so far, essentially, that if you're going to try and make workplaces more equal, more diverse, more inclusive and so on. The project has to be broader than just a set of laws that are going to change certain behaviours.
1: I would totally agree with you, because I think that the law piece is definitely the baseline adhering with the laws is absolutely important. But if you haven't had a change of mind set around these topics or you haven't got a culture that is is embracing these particular issues, well, then you're not going to see anything other than a tick box exercise to to meet the basics of the law as opposed to maybe the spirit of the law, if you like. So, you know, we, we would have seen that from the early days around equality legislation um, and and people literally meeting that baseline of of equal opportunity. But now what we are seeing and it's it's fantastic to see is companies really embracing this whole area of equality, diversity and inclusion, because not only is it is it the right thing to do, but it's so good for business. We know that it's good in terms of bringing creativity and innovation because you've got diversity of thinking and background, which means that there's less groupthink, that we're coming at things very differently. Um, and that people are bringing different ideas, skills, and competencies to the table, but it, it it is one that you know we can't just expect it to happen naturally. We need to work at making sure that we are respecting difference, that we are are accepting that people will come with different um, histories and, and mindsets that you know may be different from from our own, and that's okay. That's that's actually you know it's it's part of the richness of of what our society looks like today, which is is a really positive thing. Um so how do we work differently? How do we look at that? How do we make sure that we're we're getting all of the the um, positives from that and helping people integrate really well into our workplace cultures and and making sure that we're respecting and ensuring that people are able to bring their their whole selves to work in the, in that sense. And we know that it's it's something that we're not only seeing a demand for you know, in the workplace from our employees, but also from our potential employees. People are very clear on the type of companies that they want to work for these days. And we're in a war for talent and and people are are really prioritizing factors like diversity and inclusion, well-being and purpose and quality of life as they choose whether to remain with a company or to leave for a competitor. But on the flip side, so are our customers. Today, customers have increasing expectations of the role that business should play in tackling the challenges that we face. And they really want to know what companies stand for and they're hyper aware of what is you know greenwashing or virtue signaling and what is authentic and they are not afraid to vote with their feet so so alongside all of that regulation you've got th- these kind of push and pull factors and in that regulation i suppose as well you know you've you've also got companies really focusing around sustainability in the past a lot of that has looked at climate and, and the environmental pillar Um, But more and more so now we're seeing business really prioritizing and promoting that equality and fairness in the workplace. We're seeing investors looking for that information and adding more focus, not just to the financial piece, but also to how do you do your business and the value that it has for a range of stakeholders. Because all of the business indicators as well, the financial indicators, you know, the pieces around innovation, around engagement, around productivity are also all enhanced by having a really strong, diverse population that's really working well and that has bedded in and as you say legislation on its own is not going to achieve any of that it really is about how do we do that on the ground now
0: Cara my job of course is to be a little bit of a devil's advocate and push you a little bit on some of this so one of the things I'm interested in is this as you say there's a lot of going on in a workplace now you mentioned sustainability diversity inclusion equality there's a lot of words there okay and they're big words and they're powerful words what would you say to someone who might say, you know, there's, there's too much of all of this and that organizations and companies should be more mindful of their day to day business and that there's a sense that there's a chilling effect within workplaces. People can't say they're say things they want to say. There's a sensitivity there. There's an oversensitivity. Some people would say that they're, they're, they're afraid and fearful of saying the wrong thing, using the wrong language at the wrong time. And as a result, they end up saying nothing and they go quiet at meetings and they don't contribute to anything beyond just the narrow operations of a company. Um, do you have any worries in that sense or, or, or is that something you ever hear from employers or, or, or members of your own organization, that they feel that all this the social side of business is, is too extensive and too intrusive? And it, it's out of whack with what you might call day-to-day operational issues. Do, do, you, do you see any valid validity in that argument or or what would you reply to that?
1: I, I think there's probably two pieces there, Emmett. Firstly, this is really valuable to sticking with the business and you know to, to what probably I just alluded to in terms of the, the value that it brings to how we operate and higher quality, you know, decisions and innovation and creativity, all of those pieces are better served when we have that that broader understanding of everybody bringing different competencies and, and differences, if you like, to our table. But on the flip side, I absolutely take your point in terms of concerns around language we use and and conversations. And sometimes you'll hear people say, but sure, it's just banter and you can't say anything anymore. And it can be challenging and it absolutely can be challenging for people. But there is a big difference between intent versus getting something wrong. And oftentimes there's so much going on, you know, with language and words that we can and can't use and things that are more inclusive or less inclusive. It can be, it can feel like a little bit of a minefield. And unless you're in that space, it can probably be something that you're never fully aware of making a mistake in or indeed never particularly clear as to what various things mean. And that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes, but we do have a responsibility to educate ourselves and do better. Now, we don't deserve necessarily to get cancelled or pilloried for for getting something wrong, you know, and and I really feel where people are genuinely making an effort and make a mistake, it's okay to both identify that 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 wasn't what should have been said or done, but we have to learn from that and we have to move forward otherwise what does happen as you as you rightly say is is people stop trying or they say nothing and that does nothing for anybody because that sends conversations underground it does nothing to support inclusion and us all getting along with our you know our idiosyncrasies and our beliefs and our values and so on so it's really important that we are all learning I don't know any company that has got it perfect because in fact if you do please send them to me but, you know, <laughs> they know where we are <laughs> yeah exactly so I do feel people people are genuinely trying and part of the of the benefits of this diversity that that we have is also that we have to do better and, and to people who talk about you know banter and so on Banter is, is, is absolutely fine, but is a joke really a joke if it's actually imp- impacting somebody else badly? I don't know that it is. And sometimes we let that slip. And may, maybe an extreme example or, or a particularly strong example on this would be around um, gender equality. And we know that gender based violence, for example, it has its roots in gender equality. And when we let kind of language around misogynistic or sexist comments, Go kind of unchallenged. We're actually showing tacit acceptance for for a way of engaging about men, women, and gender, and that's that's at the foundation. And as I say, at its extreme, if you follow that the whole way through, you know, it can lead to things like gender gender based violence. Not always, but but that is the kind of culture that we're 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 kind of underpinning. So we I think we've got to be careful around what we what we see as banter or what we see as that, and actually consider what impact it's having, and can we do better? And also, is there a certain amount of um,
0: power in all of this, in, in the sense of a, a power reading of all of this? Companies and organisations and big power centres were run generally, and again, we're sweeping statements here, but that's the nature of a podcast, is that they were generally run by, by men of a certain age, with white faces, with certain religion, etc., cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And gradually, as workplaces have become more diverse, Different people are commanding different roles. People are, you know, becoming more senior. They may be holding more powerful roles within organizations. It is a part of this, a power piece that we tend not to talk about too much because it seems kind of unworthy of us all. But is, is that part of some of the resistance to more diverse and inclusive workplaces that some people who used to be more preferred are less preferred? And other people would, would query even that, but... Is that part of this, that there's sort of internal resentments within organizations that drive some of the things you're talking about?
1: Look, we know business would have been set up, you know, a long time ago, for men, by men, with a a, a kind of a setup where there there was probably uh, a wife, at home looking after home life and um, a husband in the workplace. And and that was very much your traditional setup. And we know society reflects nothing like that anymore. And in as much as that is one dimension, there's all the other dimensions that come with it too. But I would say that some of the strongest proponents for diversity, inclusion and this whole area are those white men in senior roles who are absolute champions in this space, whether it 's champions for uh, seeing more women uh, in senior leadership positions on boards, etc, or whether it 's seeing greater diversity of more people with disabilities in the workplace, different cultures and races within the workplace of you know really embracing the, the talent that 's coming through because at the end of the day you know, we need the people with the right skills in the right positions for our businesses to thrive and succeed. It makes no sense if you look at it quite quite clinically. Now, that takes the human element out of it. And we, we obviously have that. And I'm sure there are people who will feel, you know, but what about me? But we know there was an argument when the marriage bar was lifted years and years ago, so that women who got married had to step down from their civil service jobs, and then that was removed. And there was a, a worry that with all these women coming into the workplace, where would be the jobs for the men? And it wasn't fair. But that's not how it worked. The the jobs expanded. The job market hasn't dried up in that space. We have seen this.
0: I know. I was about to say maybe, maybe it's a, an artificial intelligence chatbot. We need to worry about more. <laughs> that's that's a separate a, a podcast entirely. Maybe we'll, we'll bring you back for that one, Kara, because it could be interesting to hear your reflections. But obviously, some people are doing this right. Some people are actually best in class at, at adopting best practices and so on. I mean, from your contacts, is there, and we I mean, don't I want to name the companies on the podcast, or maybe we do, that's up to you. But is there people who are doing this right? Is there cases you hear where you go, they, they've got that right? And is there then cases on the other side where you almost hold your head in your hands and you go, oh God, I can't believe in 2023, they are still the internal practices in your organization. Just give us a sense, or at least our listeners a sense of, good and bad practice out there.
1: Sure, yeah. I suppose I'm I'm very lucky. I run IBEX Diversity Forum, so I'm surrounded by about 500 companies who are all trying to do something really, really good in this space. Now, they're not all at the same stages. Some of them are 20 years working in this area. Some of them are very new to this area. Some have picked one particular area to focus on, be that disability or gender or LGBT plus issues, while others have taken a much more holistic approach to it. But what they're all doing in in terms of good practice is starting out probably talking to their employees. So looking at bringing together employees to understand what policies and procedures matter to them. How do those policies and procedures that you might have impact different cohorts differently? Where might the gaps or barriers be? Because what we've noticed is very few people are there with malice aforethought thinking i will do something that is going to cause a problem for for some somebody out there but actually what we're less aware of is is how some of the things that we have in place are impacting cohorts and if i give you an example we know that when we're talking to some companies and we're talking about people with disabilities and the fact that they you know they are more likely to be unemployed than than their their colleagues who are without a disability in in many cases and the employers will say, but we, we don't get CVs through from people with disabilities. Like we're, we're open to it and so on. And then we talk to, to the disability um, advocacy groups that we would work with. And they say, okay, but your screening system, if it screens for gaps in a CV, that could immediately screen out a person with a disability because maybe the disability flared up at a particular time and they needed to take a little bit of time out. So immediately your screening system is acting against what you were trying hard to do. So you may have the best policies and practices in place, but something is acting against you. So it's about looking at those systems that you have in place and being quite intentional about what you do. And, And we're seeing companies really taking that quite seriously. Also then when you've got that that whole you know looking at the different the different cohorts within your organization how do we make sure that everybody you know is is feeling that they are they have a voice and that they are included and again it's 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 quite intentional by companies that they're making sure that they have employee resource groups where you might have one on culture you might have one on gender you might have one on disability you might have one on sexual orientation and all of them are working to hear the voice of the employee and to look to make sure that any of the decisions that the company makes in this space is actually having the right desired effect because otherwise you get a disconnect between the ambition of the company to do better and the actual, you know, feeling on the ground.
0: A lot of what you're saying there is is, is very practical. You know, as you say, it's not back to our earlier conversation, which is the more high-minded values. This is just practical stuff, how you set up your equipment, process, the algorithms you're using, all of that sort of thing, which is day-to-day stuff. Let me just shift the conversation on a little bit because I'm conscious of time is is, is against us. I don't know whether you have any reflections on what happened a few weeks ago, obviously, with the riots in Dublin, because we're talking about diversity, inclusion and also the labour market, whether people like it or don't like it. The reality is a large number of our labour market requirements in future decades, just look at the demographics, will be supplied by people from outside the country. That's just a simple demographic fact. And again, some people don't like that, but that's what it is. So in terms of activating the labour market and and having that diversity on one hand, but also just filling absolutely crucial gaps in the line, if you want to call it that. um, First of all, what do you think of recent events? Is that going to hold that back? But secondly, also, if you could talk to a little bit about the importance of our labour market and a situation where we're in full employment, but yet there are some people that either never have worked or rarely worked there's other people that are are whatever reason employers uh, overlook etc could you just talk me through some of those issues if you could
1: i mean i think in in terms of of the recent weeks you know you could argue about the causes of such behaviours which which may have their roots in you know a lack of resources and supports in communities the need for greater security the need to tackle disinformation and misinformation and work to address tolerance and integration and they're all they're all vitally important and it's going to require a whole of society approach to really tackle these issues you know whether it's around social infrastructure supports for communities and changing that narrative towards integration but you're absolutely right in terms of of labor market activation as well we have to make sure that we are giving people the opportunity to be, get involved and sometimes there are Pockets of talent that are distant from the labour market for a variety of reasons, whether they have come out of the school system early because it didn't it didn't suit them or it, it wasn't working for them, um, or they have had different challenges around health, around well being, or or other challenges around being able to afford care that is preventing them to to actually engage. And we really have to work, particularly at a time of full employment, to make sure that that is not the case, because now is the real opportunity. So we're doing a huge amount of work around people with disabilities, migrants and refugees um, members of the traveller community and indeed people with criminal convictions to look at how do we make sure that we are equipping people with the supports and getting them into the workplace. We have a war on talent. We have a 3.9% unemployment rate. We absolutely need all the talent at our disposal. And, you know, there, there are a lot of really good things happening. We know, for example, next year, there'll be a launch of a new youth guarantee, which will encourage employers to sign up to take people off the live register and give them access to work, work experience and support to get them into work. You know, we're, we're seeing particular pieces of work around the migrant and refugee community. So whether it's uh, internships or it's or it's, again, looking at employment and connecting them in, in particular areas. But you're absolutely right. All of those pieces have to be part of the solution or this is what where we find ourselves in difficulty quite quickly and who,
0: who's the audience that needs convincing what i mean by that is is, is it employers is it HR people who, who are the people that are need to be convinced that they need to look more broadly or they need to refine their recruitment practices or, or where they get people like like who, who is the group that is called kind of at the forefront of that
1: so, on the employer side, there can be a fear of getting involved. So take, for example, people with disabilities. Sometimes there is, can be a concern that this idea of reasonable accommodations is a very big and onerous thing when actually, in reality, many people need few, if any, reasonable accommodations to be able to to engage in employment, but because of concerns about what is that you know and, and myths around what what is actually involved and what will it cost and how will we manage people can can avoid getting involved at all. So part of the work is around demystifying some of these areas and, and opening up conversations on that. And we do a lot of that work with many of our partners in, in uh, the NGO community. The other side of it, though, also is the individuals themselves, because there can be major concerns for people who maybe have other benefits that either will or their perception is that they will lose them if they take up employment or if they take up more hours of employment.
0: This is the, the sort of poverty trap um, argument where you, you actually end up in net terms less better off by taking up employment than being on support. That can happen in certain cases, can't it?
1: But it's even it's even more the perception that I might lose my medical card or my HAP or, or one of these other benefits that I have. And it's the fear of actually taking that step. So we've got to really support people in those decisions. And again, provide reassurances and certainties around how we, we transition from one area and from one life stage into another. There's probably a, a lot of scaffolding that, that is required around all of these pieces. I think it's going to take concerted effort on the part of employers and government and on, on various groups to, to really do that. But I think it's such an important investment on all of our parts because the outcome is so good for both the individual, for the employer and for society.
0: Now, Kara, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. You, you've you've gone through so many different things. Um, we should make you an organizational agony ant where people just uh, email in their organizational problem and difficulty. And you, because you're you're very practical, as I said earlier on in the conversation, there's a lot in there. There's equality. There's the diversity, inclusion, LGBT issues, issues we didn't even get into about neurodivergence and all all of that whole area. So it, it probably needs a series of podcasts to. To get through this, well, I think you made a decent start. But uh, thanks for the conversation. It sounds like you've got a, a fair bit of stuff lined up for 2024 as well. That'll keep you busy. But for now, thank you very much for joining us on Business Impact.
1: Thanks very much, Emmett.
0: Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcast or Spotify cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world. So there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of Beth Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver. and We hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact.